Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 288. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, we have Ken Bakley. How are you, Ken? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing all right. Can't complain. Doing okay. So this is your third time on the podcast and the first time co-hosting on the regular show. How are you feeling about that? I'm feeling pretty good. I will be a capable substitute. Nice. Yeah. Kevin bailed because Kevin's a loser. Yeah. We know that though, but we love him anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Flaky Kevin. That's what I want to call him. (laughs) Good old flaky Kevin. So this week on the show, we'll be talking about John Woo's Manhunt, along with someone we've been watching on the watch list and previewing some new releases in theaters, VOD and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for tuning in. Before we jump into our review, got a couple of housekeeping things. It's a larger list than usual because it's the beginning of the month. So more stuff to go over. Uh, There's going to be a new Film Pulse Selects film dropping this Thursday. So be sure to check that out. And as always, if you're one of our patrons on Patreon, uh, you can get the movie a week in advance. So if you want early access to all the films that we stream on the site, head over to patreon.com slash filmpulse. There is going to be a new Ryan Watches a Movie this week. It's been a long hiatus for that show, but Ryan's feeling better. He's on the mend. And we had him watch The Babysitter's Club from 1995 this week, so... Don't miss that. It's going to be a good one. Uh, Sounds like it. Yeah, that's going to be out on Friday. So keep a lookout for that. And our May giveaway is up right now. We're giving away a copy of The Virgin Suicides on Criterion Collection Blu-ray this month. So you can check the site for more information on entering that. And remember, to be eligible, you have to fill out the form and be a subscriber on our newsletter or one of our patrons. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. It's a good criterion, by the way. I reviewed it on the site. It's a pretty it's a good, good movie, too. It, it's a great movie. You know, I revisited it for the first time in many years, and it holds up. It really does. It's just it's gorgeous film. Just gorgeous. It really is. Finally, I want to give a shout out to our latest patron, Andy. Andy's been a longtime supporter of Film Pulse, and he just re-upped his subscription, so thank you very, very much, Andy, for your continued support. And with that, I think we'll dive into our review of Manhunt. As I said, this is directed by John Woo. I have a synopsis here. Accused of heinous crimes he didn't commit, a prosecutor sets out on a mission to clear his name. Oh, boy. Ken, since you're our guest this week why don't you start us off what did you think of manhunt i generally liked it just sort of as a technical marvel from somebody like john woo i'll confess that i'm not terribly familiar with a lot of his work Uh, sort of ashamed to admit he's one of my blind spots i just watched face off for the very first time earlier this week oh wow so i didn't so i didn't have a lot to base this off of uh but even from the minimal experience i have i think this is sort of a movie that's going to land better with a lot of longtime fans of his rather than maybe more newcomers because it feels very much like a play the hits kind of movie from him oh yeah yes uh you are absolutely 100 percent correct on that so this is a return to hong kong style action for john woo it's not a period piece it's not 
this kind of sci-fi action American hybrid that he did for a while there. It's just a straight up action movie. And it, like you said, the whole greatest hits aspect of it is completely on point because this is exactly what you would expect with a classic John Woo movie for better and for worse. I think, uh, for me, this movie was sort of middle of the road. Um, what you were saying about it, you were just sort of impressed with it on a technical level. And I was impressed with it on a technical level if this came out in 1993. But for today's standards, mm, it, I thought it was, yeah. it was okay. <laughs> if, yeah, what I mean by that isn't necessarily that he's innovating. It's just... Uh, Maybe when I say impressed, I mean more impressed with the consistency of one filmmaker because I'm familiar with some of his early stuff. I'm uh, only vaguely familiar with some of his Hollywood stuff. And one thing that you notice, and I think we have discussed this maybe not on mic, but off mic, but I have this kind of thing for consistency in a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And so when I say that... uh, I was impressed. I don't mean that he's innovating. I mean that he's, I'm almost kind of amazed at how many decades he can go without, uh, without. trying to reinvent <laughs> yeah. the wheel. Uh, so uh, you can say that it's uh, like something that came out in 1993 and I can say that I'm technically impressed with it and we're basically talking about the same thing. Yeah, and it is kind of a testament to the filmmaker's style, right? Like he's made you know, these giant epics since then. And most of his Hollywood movies, he was still able to incorporate sort of his, the, the, the certain signatures of, of his directing style. But this one feels so much like a classic John Woo movie from the early nineties. It's, it's like, I don't know if it was intentional. Like, I don't know if he was deliberately trying to make it feel like, uh, a movie that is not of this era or what, but I mean, he definitely nailed that, especially with a lot of from, from the, the score for one thing, the odd choices that he would make with the saxophone music and yeah. the, the sort of soft core porn style <laughs> soundtrack of this movie. And, and like, he would have this like soft music playing during action sequences. And it's just like, you're like, well, this doesn't really fit. But then if you think about some of his other movies, it does, fit. it does fit. <laughs> like it, it kind of fits perfectly in that. And then you also have a lot of his, the, the telltale John Woo visual cues as well. You have the oddly placed, uh, slow motion sequences that seem to, mm-hmm mean nothing you know that like he'll he'll, if anything they kind of uh almost hurt the pacing of a scene at times just because uh in terms of just the general ubiquity through which uh they're used even here uh i think something that sets this work apart from maybe some of his earlier stuff is that because this is a director coming back and playing the hits it almost feels like it's not taking itself as seriously as the best John Woo movies do. Yeah, I, I completely got that impression as well. Like, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I totally got that that same exact impression. Like, is he sort of p- 
poking fun of it himself in this? Is is he sort of is this like a self reflection on his early work? Like what? what I wasn't really sure if that was something that he was trying to do, but it's definitely something that he, uh, came out in the final product. Yeah, this is, you can absolutely tell somebody who has been making uh, a kind of movie like this for decades and is coming back and is making another one like the early work uh, and for whatever better or for worse that entails, it's very much coming off like somebody who has been doing this for a very long time, knows all of the ropes and the ticks of his style and has worked through that. Uh, and when it's at best, it's sort of this very fun, breezy throwback. And at its worst, it feels like you can't tell how sincere this particular uh, execution of the style is. And there's just so much... There's so much cheese going on in this movie. Oh yeah, it's it's unbelievable. The dialogue in this movie is amazing. Uh, it is so absurd. Some of the things that are said. I actually wrote down some things. I almost wrote them down, but then I forgot. But I please share with the world. All right, let me let me find my place here because this is the the one of the first things that I wrote was uh when the so. Just to give some backstory, there's this drug, this pharmaceutical company, and they're about to unveil this this secret new drug. But the the funny thing in in which there there was this little uh, like investor meeting or company meeting that happened towards the beginning of the film, and it was sort of like the the president of the company got up on stage and he was sort of giving this exposition as to like what this company was and what was going on. But all he really said was. My son will take over the development of a new drug. And then everybody's just clapping. Like he didn't describe anything about what it was or anything like that. And then when they introduced the the main character, he's like, as a professional lawyer, my job is to take on a case and win it. And <laughs> there's just lines like that where you're just like, uh, all right. And then when uh so the cop, you have this like all-star badass cop. And he ends up that when they introduce him, which is first of all, what a way to introduce a character, right? Where he's just saving this kid from these like random dudes yeah. that are like <laughs> these random nut jobs that are trying to blow up this kid for some reason. Mm-hmm. And the kid asks him, he's like, "How can I be a man like you?" And and the guy just goes, "Whether it's something you should do or don't want to do, do it anyway." just like all right Uh, there's so many great sentences in this movie that try to feel profound but are actually just circular series of words that mean absolutely nothing and at first i thought maybe there's something lost in translation here you know these are subtitles maybe that's but maybe that has something to do with it but the fact that they happen so frequently it's it's hard to believe that this is not what they're saying and meaning. Yeah. And I think going off that point, uh, there's so many things about the actual scripting of this movie that don't make a terrible amount of sense. And of course, uh, you're not going into a John Woo movie for the intricacies of the plot, but it's, 
kind of remarkable just the number of threads going on in this movie oh yeah that don't really amount to anything at all oh yeah they're like a lot of these action movies it is needlessly yeah. convoluted like there there's so much added complexity to this narrative yes. that you're just like do we need all this do we need this like subplot with the the assassin girls and mm -hmm. their whole story and just all of the there, there's so much like minutia to each each character yes. and like all the, the different threads that are happening to them and it's just like okay this is just yeah. it's so much yeah when you contrast it with how uh john woo directs an action scene you know he you know he's known for these incredibly long and complicated action scenes but he's always very clear-headed there's always a vision you can always tell what's happening in relation to something else and everything in proportion uh which really contrasts with the way this particular movie has been written which is just everything happening with no regard to the proportion of how it affects anything yep. else it's <laughs> exactly right it's it's uh it's kind of ridiculous I mean, he, at one point the the lead the, this lawyer who is wrongfully accused he's framed for the murder of this this woman and he's on the run it's very much a, a fugitive story here he ends up becoming friends with these these vagrants and <laughs> in one of i think maybe the best conversations in the movie for some reason john woo decides to just stop the 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 motion and have the conversation play out in still images for some reason. I don't know yes, if you remember that, is... that but <laughs> Oh, how could I forget <laughs> it's it? It's like, what, what is going on here? Why are they having a conversation in still images? And, and it like that alone just felt so dated. And, and again, maybe yeah. that was the intention, but it just was really weird to me. Yeah. My first instinct was that that had to be, uh, self-referential somehow like that's maybe also what i meant when i said uh just sort of technically impressive because i thought it was almost like uh john woo parody parodying a john woo movie so it was kind of this meta commentary on not only his own filmmaking style but the legacy that 40 years of his movies have had but then after a while i thought i don't know what's happening here i don't know exactly where uh one part of this ends and another part begins i don't think i don't think that it really was sort of him and maybe it was him trying to recreate some of the films that he made but it really wasn't it felt like it was in earnest and it, it didn't feel like he was sort of poking fun of at himself because the movie was so it was so self-serious. Like there was nothing. Yeah. There were, there were no like goofs or gags or any, any kind of like light hearted moments really. And that leads me to believe that he did this all with a lot of sincerity. And I, mm -hmm. I, I just found that it, 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 for me, it just, a lot of it didn't really work. I appreciated what he was doing, but then again, I, I will, uh, say a disclaimer that I'm not the biggest John Woo fan. I, I like a number of his films, but I wasn't like a diehard, uh, you know, John Woo, not 
like some people yeah i think uh even someone like me that's only really coming to him recently or especially after the main wave of his influence is that uh you can't really look at any part of john woo's style now and not instantaneously think about how the however many years he's been a mainstream action influence has not spread to basically every single action movie that has been made in the interim by anybody. And and I think that that's an interesting concept because when you look at, when you look at some of his, his early films, um, when you look at uh, like the killer or um, better tomorrow or especially hard boiled, like these movies were influencers. These movies were groundbreaking for the time. I mean, I remember like when the killer came out and the, the the level of action, the level of high octane, crazy over the top action and the amount of violence that was in that movie was just on a whole other level. And it, I think that as you said, it was extremely influential in the, the action genre. And I think that we're still seeing sort of the ripple effects of his influence in the genre. But when you go back to like the beginnings of, of it, it, it doesn't feel fresh and new. It feels dated and, and old and kind of silly, especially like a lot of the, the, the visual techniques that he uses and a lot of the, the camera work and stuff. Some of it looks amazing to this day. Like I will say that, the action sequences in this movie, the way that they are shot and framed, it's it's top notch. I mean, the ca- yeah. the camera movement and just everything that the, the way that he's able to capture uh, a, a shootout or a fight scene. I mean, it, it's truly an art. But a lot of the a lot of the other aspects, the 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 random slow motion and just the silly goofy dialogue and the freeze frames and all that stuff, they just they feel so dated. And I think that that's because all of these other filmmakers took, you know, what Wu innovated on and then iterated onto onto it, creating something that we now know is like the modern action film. Yeah, and I don't think he has an obligation to keep innovating no. if it's the work of other people coming after him that have made his own uh, work seems somehow dated if you look back at it or you make a movie now with it. I think he has every right to make a movie that is just like uh, the ones that he was making before he was considered sort of this influential icon. Uh, just what I think is interesting is watching a movie like this, which is in the most objective sense, a very well polished uh, series of elaborate action scenes and fight scenes. And you can take that in isolation and say, this is a pretty well-made movie. But then you put it in the greater pantheon of not only its director's work, but everything that its director has influenced through not only his uh, early Hong Kong stuff, but his later Hollywood period. And you think this is almost like a filmmaker uh, sort of just using his own devices back again as kind of this very throwback movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. And 
maybe maybe that was his intent. I mean, I, maybe he's just been really eager to get back to putting those doves on screen and having them fly all over the place. And I was so happy when I finally saw the doves. The doves. <laughs> well, the the best thing is. I rewatched, so I watched a couple John Woo movies for the first time this week, and I mm-hmm. wa- and I rewatched, um, I rewatched Hard Target, which is actually one of my favorite John Woo movies. Mm-hmm. I love Hard Target, and it it made me realize because there were, uh, so I rewatched, so I saw Manhunt, Hard Target, and then I watched Paycheck, the Ben Affleck one, because I never saw that. Um, kind of regretting that I watched that, and then I and then I watched. Uh, <laughs> a film called Blackjack starring Dolph Lundgren, which was, mm-hmm. uh, that was actually filmed as a pilot for a TV show and, and it never got picked up. So I guess they just released it as a TV movie or something. And he uses mm-hmm. doves in on all of them. I think that most of his action movies have those doves somewhere. But I think the interesting thing is like, he doesn't, he doesn't just use them as this sort of aesthetic, you know, Easter egg. He often will use them as an actual plot device. Like he'll, he'll insert the dove in such a way that the, the protagonist or whoever is in the scene with the dove will somehow use it to, to further along the narrative, which I I, I think is just so great that he does that. The, the dove is not, is not like a Hitchcock cameo with just, it's just, it's not just a signature with no uh, plot repercussion. It is, and often a key part of whatever scene it's appearing in. Yeah, it's it's definitely not just set dressing. It's it's yeah, it's an integral part of the like in Hard Target. Like Van Damme just sees the dove, and that like influences him on it. Like gives it gives him an idea of like what's going on next, and it's just like all right, that's cool. Hypothetically, this should have just been like in an ideal world, it would have just been. Uh, uh, a continual progression to which John Woo's final movie in his career would have been, uh, would be, you know, sometime down the line. And it's just, uh, an, a CGI or an animated action movie where all the characters are doves. Oh my God. That would be amazing. Just doves just, flying and mm-hmm. fighting. And there's like dust yeah. in the air, dust particles. There's feathers flying everywhere. That is where, yes, that is where it needs to be. I completely agree. So, in summation, I would say that for for diehard John Woo fans, I think Manhunt is definitely a must-watch, especially because it's on Netflix. Most people have Netflix. You can just give it a look right now. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of weird... Um, I, I thought that the the dialogue, the mixture of the Japanese, Chinese, and English dialogue, I thought often did not work in the film's favor. Uh, a lot of it was overdubbed, and it yeah. felt very odd. A lot, a lot of the dialogue, just d- besides being somewhat haphazardly written, it the delivery, the, the line delivery on these uh, on the a lot of the actors just felt very stilted and strange. I think it could have been even a different feeling movie entirely if it was just uh, bizarre dialogue delivered with complete sincerity. Uh, but once you get around to the point where it's just sort of dubbing and language switching, it gets a little bit too into the weeds for even that. Yeah. Uh, overall, I had fun with the, the the film, though. Don't get me wrong. There's definitely yeah. I, had, I had issues with it, but I had a pretty good time with it. I don't know if it's a movie that I'll remember two weeks from now. It's 
probably a movie that I will forget about. Uh, yeah. With, t- it's, to me, it, it does feel like classic John Woo, but again, in this current climate, when you have movies like The Raid and The Raid 2 and some of these, um, you know, bigger action films, in my, mm-hmm. at least in my opinion, bigger. Yeah. Um, they just, it, the lasting power just isn't there for something like Manhunt. You know, when you have like, like Hard Target, that's a film from my youth, so I'm never going to forget that. And plus, a lot of the mm-hmm. stuff that happens in Hard Target is just utterly ridiculous. And with Manhunt, you, you had certainly ridiculous moments, but it wasn't like Van Damme levels of ridiculous or Dolph Lundgren levels of silliness. Can I just tell you about, are you familiar with the movie Blackjack? Uh, a little bit, yeah. So Dolph Lundgren plays this guy who's this, uh, he's like this this bodyguard guy who has the fear, a fear of white. He has a fear of the color <laughs> white. <laughs> so uh, he has to wear sunglasses all the time. And if he's ever around anything that's very white, he uh, like freaks out and he can't do anything. <laughs> it's amazing. It's a guy who has the fear of white. And of course, there's a sequence where he's fighting the the main villain in a giant vat of milk. And amazing. And it, everything in the milk factory is white. So it's just white. pure white everywhere. That is incredible. And I think I need to watch that immediately. Uh, it tr- It's really one of Wu's I think worst projects. It feels very much like a TV show. Like they they like they edit in like fade outs for commercials and stuff. So yeah. it's <laughs> it's not it is not good. But Dolph Lundgren's pretty good in it. And does the does the fear of white come up with the inevitable use of doves? Uh, Sort of, yeah, because there was this, so there's this moment towards the end where he's trying to conquer his fear because he, like, he has to, like, he has to get over it in order to save the girl. So he mm-hmm. does this sort of therapy where he says out loud nice things that are white. So he'll be like, <laughs> he'll, he'll be like, snowflakes, doves. <laughs> and so that definitely comes into it. But there are regular doves in it as well, of course. If it were picked up as a TV show, would uh, every episode just be him trying to get over another irrational fear? Oh, man, that would be amazing. This week on Blackjack, Dolph Lundgren (laughs) conquers his fear of incandescent light bulbs. (laughs) Oh, boy, Blackjack. Check that one out. That's on. I uh, have to now. It's on Amazon Prime. So if you have uh, Amazon Prime, you can see it there. It is a really bad quality version it's like the four by three brightness up everything's white yeah there you go (laughs) uh all right let's go ahead and give manhunt a score ken what are you going to give it out of 10 uh i'm going to give it a six and a half i'm going to go with the six on manhunt so again that's on netflix light recommend for me check it out it's decent had a pretty good time pretty good time with it fun time it's it's laughable but maybe that's in a good way yeah. Like I've noticed with a lot of John Woo movies, I find myself laughing at, at the movie, but mm-hmm. it doesn't 
hamper my enjoyment of it. Like even even if you rewatch Hard Boiled, like Hard Boiled is ridiculous, especially the baby yeah. the baby scene in that. Just about every John Woo movie is ridiculous in its own way, and I think uh, in his very best movies, there's a certain uh, degree to which it played straight. Where you uh, there's a difference between you know, and I think to this movie's disadvantage is that there is so much uh, happening in it that it just kind of that just through the way it's made kind of can't treat with the same level of immediate seriousness and sincerity that sort of helps along the ridiculousness in the best John Woo movies. Mm -hmm. Like as someone who just saw face off for the very first time face off is maybe one of the most outwardly ridiculous movies <laughs> yeah. just that you could think of and put on a hundred million dollar budget to that doesn't involve you know superheroes uh but it's all yeah it's all played with a, an internal logic that makes it all work within its universe uh a movie like this one kind of falters a little bit more in that respect just because there's so much happening it can't form that same kind of cohesive thought line yeah i love face off i think it's oh yeah it's let, remarkable let's this let's use that as a as a segue into our watch list and mm -hmm. tell me a little bit more about what you thought of face off uh they they take they take some faces off so they take they take the one face off and and they take off, and then they take the other face off, and then they but but then they, they then they put then them back they, on. Then they have to put the face back on, and then it's just you know, this movie, as has been said continuously since it came out, I think if nothing else, uh, uh, the second thing you think of after thinking about just the action scenes in this movie are what a wonderful opportunity it is for any actor to play a lead part in this, but especially this weirdly workable uh, juxtaposition of Travolta and Cage, because this is a dream for any actor to be able to play this absurdly over-the-top movie where for a majority of the movie, you're also playing somebody else. Yeah. Uh, I mean, plus it's... I mean, Travolta and Cage, come on. Yeah. Is there mm -hmm. a better duo? Is there a better crazy duo to be... To, to put yeah. in front of your For the, movie. You know, the, the ubiquitous trivia fact that it was going to be like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone, there is a certain degree and tone to this movie that could have only happened with Travolta and Cage. Yeah, I mean, you, you see, you know, this is back when Nicolas Cage is after leaving Las Vegas, I think, right? And mm -hmm. so this is this is like sort of when Cage was, he was blowing up. And this is after yeah. this is after Travolta made his comeback from with Pulp Fiction. So both of uh -huh. these both of these guys were just they were on the rise like big time. And, yeah. and this movie really helped propel them and propel their careers uh, on this upward trajectory. And it was when you know Nicolas Cage has always been kind of crazy in his roles, but uh -huh. uh, I feel like he was really able because he I, I guess he was sort of crazy in Leaving Las Vegas, but. I feel like yeah. he was able to be a little bit more unhinged in in this role, and it's just man, I had so much fun with this movie. I, this mm -hmm. this might be maybe my favorite of the Wu movies. Certainly my favorite of his Hollywood movies. Yeah, there is like, uh, 
Nicolas Cage, for all the memeing that gets made out of him, is a really, really just uh, capable individual actor when you give him a role that suits just his almost undescribably operatic style. Yeah. Like, there is, there is so many different formats of acting and art through the years uh, that he could have excelled in just because he is so uniquely expressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of his. I, I really wish that he would stop doing the what he's doing with like just pumping out these just movie after movie after movie. I, I wish he would just tone it down a little bit. Yeah. Just just mm-hmm. cool it. Because it's I feel like it hurts his brand. Like he because he'll come out with like one or two good movies a year. And it mm-hmm. I think the problem is that they just get lost in the giant garbage pile that he I mean the dude makes like 10 movies a year. It's insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but then like he'll and he'll just make like this straight to VOD trash and then all of a sudden he's like like in uh, it's the, the movie Mandy that's coming out the the guy that did Beyond the Black Rainbow Panos Cosmatos like that movie mm-hmm. he's in that and it's like the most insane thing that I, I've seen Nicolas Cage in maybe <laughs> maybe ever I mean mm-hmm. like it's got to be one of his craziest movies. Even, even, and that is saying something. Yeah, and, I mean, he's played a lot of really crazy roles, but this—he's just so off the, off his rocker in this movie, mm-hmm. and I'm just afraid that that movie is just going to get swept under the rug because he's in so much other kind of, you know, not great stuff. I think to make sure that people are seeing the uh, the the best Nicolas Cage movies right now, we need to bring onto the site we need to hire like uh a new set of reviewers whose only purpose is to just watch all the nicholas cage movies and then (laughs) determine which ones are the best Mm. ones we need like uh we need like a specifically assigned like nicholas cage assessment committee that sounds like a job for an intern i I think we could get an intern to to handle all right Mm -hmm. i think that's that sounds like a a good plan but yeah uh, so yeah, face off. Um, big fan of that one as well. Mm-hmm. Sticking with the the Asian uh, film theme, I saw a film called Psychokinesis. This is a Korean film by uh, Young Sang Ho. This is the guy that directed uh, um, Train to Busan mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, and uh, so this one is uh, it's a, sort of a superhero style movie i believe this is on this is on netflix i watched it on netflix uh it's about a this guy who through drinking some tainted spring water uh discovers that he as you do of course discovers that he has uh telekinesis so he can he can sort of he can control things with his mind he can even control himself he can make himself fly he can pick up things and throw things and he uses that to help his daughter his estranged daughter uh fight these developers who are trying to tear down her uh fried chicken shop in their their little uh part of town and uh is it like is it like uh is it like people that have a, that are real sticklers about uh healthy eating and they just need to violently dismantle <laughs> no uh 
No, it's more it's more uh, pedestrian than that. It, it's it's definitely just uh, these land developers that are trying to build a mall there for Chinese tourists. <laughs> And it's it's pretty good. I had fun with it. It's definitely more lighthearted than Train to Busan or um, his, some of the director's uh, animated movies that he did previously, like Soul Station or The Fake, uh, which were both great, but um, certainly a little bit more uh, dour than this movie. Uh, but Psychokinesis is a, it's a pretty fun movie about... Uh, sort of the father-daughter dynamic in him trying to be a better father to his daughter after being away from her for so many years. And it's mm -hmm. uh, it's got some pretty fun action sequences in it, too. The, the the effects work is, you know, not great, but it's it's not horrible either. It's it's pretty fun. So I'd give it a light recommend. Right. Psychokinesis is the name of it. Mm -hmm. uh, well, going with the... Uh, uh, telekinesis in film uh, theme uh, I've kind of had this thing for like real sort of dated things sort of objects that were trying to be really hip and modern in their time and then like before they become retro they have to be dated and they just have to look absurd so uh, last week I watched The Rage Carry 2 oh man I saw this in the theater if you can believe did that. you yes I did uh, which like, this is uh, 1999. This is, and I will make myself very young, this is the year I was born. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is the, this is the, uh, so I'm almost, I'm a little bit fascinated with, like, just the popular culture era that I just missed. Just And this movie is so obscenely trying to be, like, the sort of the, the hip post- post like natural born killers in terms of like editing post scream in terms of like trying to be like to sort of a weird kind of almost referential horror. Uh, and it's just all of the things that happen in it, make it uh, basically just a 1999 remake of Carrie. However, they try to tie it in as a sequel through like a couple, like one, like the Seuss now, the, uh, the Amy Irvin character showing up, again um but yes once it gets going it's just sort of a very fun bit of nothingness somebody gets killed by flying cds that was that was the one moment that i remember and uh brad from home improvements in it and he plays the bad mm. guy i remember that <laughs> oh man the rage carried too wow it is it is not a good movie, but it is an enjoyable movie. And it gets more enjoyable over time, I think. Uh, you know, it could just go from being a generic sort of movie that's trying too hard to uh, an incredible, overwhelmingly overpacked time capsule of ever, of all of like the little uh, late 90s uh, cult pop cultural minutiae it was trying to squeeze in. God, I don't think I've seen that since I saw it in the theater because I remember I hated it so much. Even as I was oh. watching it, I just <laughs> I wanted to leave. I just hated it so bad. <laughs> I think I think now if I watched it now, I would certainly appreciate it more, especially because recently I've I've been really gravitating towards uh, these 90s movies, like 90s action movies, 90s horror movies. 
Mm-hmm. I, so I think that I probably would appreciate it more now uh, as, as an older person, just because of the, maybe the nostalgia yeah. factor. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say you might get something at least mildly interesting out of rewatching it. It's like a lot of the, uh, sort of the teen oriented horror movies that come out now, uh, will take on a whole new life in a couple decades when they're just, uh, kind of just more objects of their time than anything else. Like, uh, the example I always go to is, um, I want to watch a movie like unfriended in 25 years. Yeah. Just this very specific, not only conflation of marketing to teenagers of the mid 2010s, but also capturing a very specific part of where technology was just as its whole reason for existing. Well, that's, that's one of the reasons that I love genre film so much is because when you look at any kind of genre film, especially horror, but also, Mm -hmm. you know, rewatching some of these older John Woo movies from the nineties, uh, action movies certainly fit in that mold as well. I feel like genre movies more than anything else are, are definitely a time capsule. Like they, they encapsulate the, the pop culture and sort of the zeitgeist of, what of that era that they came out in and that that's one of the Mm -hmm. reasons i love them so much is because they just they really they really just capture a time period and i love i love that about all genre movies but especially horror movies speaking of which i saw herschel gordon lewis's uh 2000 maniacs from 1964 all right it's a little classic hg lewis a bit of nonsense here this mm-hmm. is going to be getting a Blu-ray release on Arrow. Arrow's uh, putting it out, and um, I'm going to be working on a review for that in the near future. So gave that a look, and uh, with it, with the Blu-ray, you also get Herschel Gordon Lewis's Moonshine Mountain, which came out just a few months after 2000 Maniacs. I couldn't find any information on this, but I, I have a sneaking suspicion that he had to have shot them either simultaneously or one right after the other because the mm-hmm. this the the backdrop is the exact same. He uses like four or five of the same actors in it, and it just the 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 look, the vibe, it all. Both movies feel very similar. Uh, Two Thousand Maniacs is certainly a, a way better movie, and it's it's way more famous. Um, in that, it, it's mm-hmm. a lot more like the level of violence that was on display is like nothing of that time. I mean, he was, he took everything as, yeah. as such an ex, to, to such an extreme that like nobody, nobody had seen anything like this. And he, he was just sort of, uh, sort of at the forefront of, um, of sort of the midnight movie that, you know, and he started with blood feast a, a year before, but he, in, in an interview on the Blu-ray, he says like, you know, blood, he says that 2000 maniacs was his, that was his favorite film. That was the, his favorite of all the films that he made because it was mm-hmm. the one that was the most successful with him trying to be successful. Whereas blood feast was sort of just a happy accident that occurred. This one was them actually putting in a lot of effort and they had a decent, a bigger budget. They had like $50,000 or something to put behind mm-hmm. this movie. And, uh, I mean, it, it, it's definitely a, a relic of its time. It, it, takes place in the in the south um and it's about this mm-hmm. this town that comes back a hundred years after the civil war and they lure uh 
tourists. They, they lure Yankee tourists into their town and, and kill them in a variety of different ways. Some of which are very clever. Like there's this, they, they, they set up this whole centennial celebration and they have these games that they play and they do this barrel roll where, you know, they put somebody in a barrel and roll them down a hill. But the, the thing is they put these giant nails into the barrel. So as they're rolling down the hill, they're just being stabbed <laughs> repeatedly by nails. Ah. Uh, so it's, it's a pretty fun movie. Not very well made. The, and I'll, I'll get more into this in my review, but the, the, the Blu-ray you it's, it's a restored version. So they use something weird videos, restoration, and then they, they, so they took that restoration, but then they actually incorporated in other digital versions of the film to sort of make a complete version. So I guess the something weird version was missing some frames and things like that. And so they, so they spliced in these other formats that make it a more complete mm -hmm. version. So as you're watching it, the color changes, like the color grading changes, the aspect ratio changes, the sound changes. It it's rough, man. Like it, this was not yeah. a, not a good restoration. <laughs> and the uh, Moonshine Mountain version was absolutely atrocious. Like it's watchable, but it needs it needs a much better uh, restoration because it's it's not great. But uh, the yeah. the film itself. I, I'd never seen maybe, this before, so it was uh, mm -hmm. it was kind of fun. Maybe movies like that need a need a a decent transfer, but you almost don't want it to be too good. No, you don't. No, definitely. I mean, like you saw the uh, the whole Disney, what Disney's doing with when they're restoring yeah. their animated films, and how it's like mm -hmm. removing they're they're restoring it so much that it's removing. You're, you're detail. taking things out. Yeah, you don't <laughs> you don't want to do that, but I mean this this is just. They could. I feel like they could easily. Now I'm not an expert in restoration. I don't do that by trade, but I feel like it's it's not gonna. It wouldn't be that hard to just m get the color grade matched. You know, throughout like have it be an even color throughout, and maybe mm -hmm. fix up some of the audio. Like sometimes it sounds like they're talking in a tin can. It's just yeah mm -hmm. it's it's not great and the the film like there's just the quality is so worn and there's like these like some sometimes it would be these like deep green uh bands that go up the this the screen <laughs> and it's like come on now was it really a restoration when like what did you restore like was it's a, it's a great way to test all of the all of the colors on your tv <laughs> and make sure they all come yeah out. it's just i don't know man like Arrow puts out a lot of really great stuff and the, and the package is great. Like there's a lot of really great special features and stuff on it. And I don't doubt that this may be the best version of this really of mm -hmm. this film, but it's by, it's definitely not uh, like a definitive version. I don't think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, well, uh, I don't know if you want to go over this, but uh, something we both saw that we were talking about earlier was, uh, John Mulaney's new Netflix special, Kid Gorgeous. Yeah, we can talk about it. We don't uh, normally talk yeah, about talk we about don't it. talk about uh, comedy specials on on here too much, but yeah, but it's uh, it's something we both liked, and it's people are talking about it a lot online this week. Yeah, it's definitely worth a mention. Yeah, 
Uh, it's uh, John Mulaney, former Saturday Night Live writer, uh, who has had this very good career as a stand-up comedian doing a, a show at Radio City Music Hall as part of his most recent tour. Uh, it's for people that are already familiar with John Mulaney. One, you've probably already seen it, but two, if you haven't, it's very much more in a style of uh, particular nature of observational humor kind of mixed with this sort of these casual insertions of gentle surrealism that just kind of add another punched up to everything. If you want to, I don't know if you want have any other observations on this. I really enjoyed it. I like, I like John Mulaney's stuff for the most part. Um, and I thought that this was an overall really solid special. I laughed a lot. The, the bit about getting old cause he's, he's 35. So he's just a little bit older than me. And mm-hmm. just, just that whole bit about getting old and how he, he's like constantly wet. <laughs> he's just, He's yeah. just constantly wet and he and he's sitting and he gets up and he thinks that he sat in something, but he realized it was just him like that. that uh-huh. I, I really enjoyed that bit. And then the the whole uh, horse in a hospital bit, I thought, was just a stroke of genius. Yeah, I honestly think that's maybe one of the only uh, sort of comparisons, sort of comedic uh, analyses of our current political climate that actually works uh, just on a general level uh, because a lot of it's just people trying to work through things that they're, they themselves are trying to understand uh, and trying to do it with a kind of an authoritativeness that doesn't quite work. But uh, the bit like, you know, the horse in the hospital bit uh, sort of takes uh, a kind of confusion with this uncharted territory and makes it part of the comedy. And I think that's one thing that works about a lot of John Mulaney's style is that he is sort of very personable and sincere. There are a lot of comedians that try to sort of use their own uh, models of cynicism to try and uh, kind of give everything that sort of edge. But the thing about Mulaney is that he is approaching everything through a very sincere lens and that's how uh kind of everything comes together and it's uh generally a lot more of an approachable comedy than what a lot of other people are doing right now yeah yeah it's uh definitely recommended it's again it's on netflix so you can take a look at it. in fact uh, i think he has mm-hmm. a few a few specials on yeah there. there are a couple of them on there so yeah, check out his stuff if you have. Did he have a? Did he have his own sitcom for a, a, he a minute? He did, but it apparently didn't. I remember uh, go that well. Yeah, I remember watching one episode, and it was on at a really weird time. It was on at like one a.m. or something. Yeah, and it ran a few episodes. Ratings were bad, and so they just kind of started burning it off. And it was just like so unfunny. And I remember it was like before I knew who he was it was before i saw him on uh kroll show mm-hmm. and i was like who is this guy why why does he have his own show why like what is this it was so confusing but i'm glad that he that, yeah. that he's found success with stand up and doing the mm-hmm. you know the the hello is it hello again 
or oh, oh uh, hello uh, oh hello oh, with hello. Uh, with Nick Kroll. That is also on Netflix. That is yeah, ne- also very highly recommended for me. That's the uh, the Broadway version of it. So they did the yes. the sketches on Kroll Show, which were amazing, and then they did they turned that mm-hmm. into a Broadway show, which mm-hmm. I haven't watched, but uh, I heard nothing but good things. So yeah, I would recommend it. Yeah, so check. And they've also, uh, he and Nick Kroll have also hosted the uh, Indie Spirit Awards for the past two years. And yeah, been very good. Oh yeah, times. they were fantastic. The last the last two mm-hmm. years that they were involved with that, they were just they were great, brutal. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so that is John Mulaney, Kid Gorgeous at Radio City. I saw the mm-hmm. Cleanse. This is directed by Bobby Miller. All right. This is a uh, horror comedy that came out this weekend. Uh, stars uh, Johnny Galecki as this guy. He's this kind of timid pushover who decides that he needs to get his life straightened out. So he goes to this this uh, sort of spiritual health retreat uh, to do this juice cleanse. And mm-hmm. it's led by Angelica Houston and Oliver Platt. So that's amazing right there. <laughs> and it turns out that this, this juice stuff that he drinks actually causes him to eject this thing from his body that manifests itself into a physical monster, like an actual creature. Oh, so. Pleasant. As he's on this cleanse, you know, shedding himself of his his toxins and his hangups and all of his foibles, uh, those those things turn into an actual living creature, and it doesn't just happen to him; it happens to everybody that's attending the retreat. So it's not like, you know, it is metaphorical to a certain extent, but it's very much in real life that this is occurring and it, cause it happens to everybody. And it's, uh, it's just about what happens next after he gets this little, uh, creature and ah. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty interesting movie. It's, it's pretty, pretty slight. I mean, it, there's not a lot to dive into with this one, but it's, mm-hmm. He the, the 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 thing about the creatures is um they're done I think it's like a mixture there's there's like CG accents on them but for the most part they're done through puppet work and they're pretty incredible looking uh I really enjoyed the creatures they're they're like gross but at the same time they're oddly adorable mm-hmm. so I really enjoyed the the creature design of in the film and. It, he, it's just about, I guess, him overcoming his his issues, and, and I don't know. It's just there's not much more to it than that. So it's maybe a light recommend for me on on the cleanse, but it's sort of an interesting idea. Yeah, the the concept sounds cool enough. I don't think we get enough creature features, so I, I was glad to see mm-hmm. that we're that we're getting uh, this sort of creature feature that is that uses practical effects, largely practical. I watch, I caught up with, uh, Francis Lee's feature debut God's own country oh, yeah. this past week. That's, uh, now on Netflix. Uh, it's about this, uh, kind of young farmer in, uh, Yorkshire, uh, 
who uh, uh, he's kind of sort of just going through life. Uh, he doesn't really want to work on the farm, but he has to because his father is ill. Uh, and this uh, young man is also, uh, he's gay, but he's sort of in the closet. It's just sort of random hookups and he can't emotionally connect to anyone until this uh, migrant worker from Romania comes to the farm. Uh, and it's sort of about how he works through his feelings and their bond together. Uh, a lot of people have talked about this movie. A lot of people like it, and I like it too. It's uh, sort of very well acted. It's uh, very thoughtful about how it uh, deals with the different kind of inner and outer conflicts of its characters in terms of them sort of realizing their identities and figuring out what their futures are and uh, how to work through them in relation to other people. Uh, one thing that people have noted about this movie is that uh, the two main characters are a uh, Romanian immigrant and a, uh, a farmer from Yorkshire. So uh, a lot of people have had, had trouble understanding the dialogue. Uh, but now that it's on Netflix, if you have a problem, you can just turn on the English subtitles. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I heard a lot of good things about this movie. Yeah, I would recommend it. Cool. That's uh, God's Own Country. Uh, the last one I'll mention, uh, I don't think this is under embargo, so I'm going to go ahead and talk about it. Um, I'll probably talk more about this closer to when it releases. I think it comes out in June, and that's uh, Damsel. This is the new All one right. from the Zellner brothers, David and Nathan Zellner. Mm -hmm. Uh, it stars Robert Pattinson and Mia Wasikowska as uh, it's a Western. It's a Western comedy. Oh. Not a lot of those. No, there's not a whole lot. I, I, more, more importantly, there's not a lot of those that are any good. I think there, there's yeah. like one, you know, there's Blazing Saddles. <laughs> and that's pretty much the only good Western comedy I can think of. Unless you want to count <laughs> like some of those ones that sort of teeter on action thriller comedy like you know like bone tomahawk was a western but it was pretty funny too mm -hmm. uh but anyway um so damsel is sort of about it's sort of a twist on the whole damsel in distress thing where mia wasikowska is this 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 strong woman who is just constantly being rescued by men who just don't need she doesn't need to be rescued and yet they keep coming to her aid and and fouling things up even more and it's sort of a sort of a comedy of errors in a way but uh there's a lot of really great really funny dialogue in here it's sort of an absurd mm -hmm. odd style of humor that i really enjoy it's it's a silly movie but it's done in in sort of a sort of a dark way i didn't see uh kumiko the treasure hunter uh there there i saw that that was good but i i from what i've read it seems like it sort of maybe has a similar tone where it's it's got the it, it, it's got like a it's sort of a comedy but it's got these more kind of somber moments to it yeah that's kind of how it goes yeah i didn't i didn't See that I did. I did want to get around to seeing that uh, eventually. Mm -hmm. I did see Kid Thing, the movie that they came out with before Kumiko, 
which I, mm-hmm. I like that. Kevin actually hated that movie. He gave it like a, like a <laughs> 0.5. He couldn't stand it. <laughs> but didn't, didn't think it was too bad. At any rate, Damsel uh, is definitely one to look out for. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, comes out right. June June 22nd, I think. So again, I'll be circling back to that one. Okay. Let's move on and talk about some release dates. So in theaters this week, we got Life of the Party. This is the new uh, Melissa McCarthy comedy. Oh, looks bad. Uh, I'm not, <laughs> I don't know about this one. You interested in this? Uh, that one that she's got. The No, I don't know much about this one, but that, uh, that one that she has coming out in a couple of months, I think, um, Can You Ever Forgive Me, about mm-hmm. the woman that forges letters from authors. That kind of looks kind of interesting. Yeah, I saw a couple of trailers for that. Um, maybe. It looks like yeah. it's definitely not a typical Melissa McCarthy movie. This one does <laughs> look very much like a typical Melissa McCarthy movie. And, you know, she 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 plays yeah. a, a newly divorced mother who decides to go back to college and it's like the same college as her daughter or something. Oh, that's mm-hmm. just not, yeah. that's not doing it for mm-hmm. me. We also have Breaking In. This is... Uh, the new one with um, God, what's her name? Gabrielle Union. That's what I was trying to think of. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in this one. This is this looks like uh, could be an interesting thriller. Yeah. Um, uh, the, yeah, the trailers I thought were really good, and um, so I'm I'm slightly interested in that one. We have a documentary called Mountain. I think it's about mountain climbing, from the looks of it. I think it's narrated by Willem Dafoe. Uh, be a good title for it. Yeah. Though. I think so. Uh, we have one that that uh, is currently one of my top movies of 2018, and that's Revenge. This will mm-hmm. be out on Shutter as well as limited release. Uh, this is uh, okay. I talked about it before on the show. I have a review up mm-hmm. on the site too. It's the directorial debut of uh, Coralie Farge. It's mm-hmm. incredible. Go go see Revenge. Go see it in the theater yeah. if you can. But if not, it will be available at home. We got Beast. Uh, I heard pretty good things about this one. I don't mm-hmm. know too much about it, but uh, might give it a look. Mm-hmm. Let's see what else we got here. Terminal, the Seagull, movie called Higher Power. Not sure what that is. The Escape. Got the Day After. There's a lot of movies that is like there is the Day After Tomorrow. And then there was uh, the day after the TV movie in the eighties about nuclear war. Oh, yeah. it's, uh, people like people want to know like recycling yeah, titles. They want to know what's going on no, the day after. They want to know what's happening tomorrow, or maybe even the day after tomorrow. We don't know. Got to think ahead. Thing. Yeah, got to think ahead. Uh, on VOD coming up this week, we got a movie called Prepper that comes out on Tuesday. The only thing I know about this is that the the lead the lead actor in this film killed himself on Facebook Live. That's not good. Yeah. I can't remember the reason. I guess there's more notoriety surrounding the movie because of that then. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know I didn't know that this was the movie cuz I I remember hearing about that that story. Uh but I didn't put two and two together as far as what movie he was in. And then when I read the synopsis for this, it says like the last film from 
so-and-so. His name's Jay Bowdy. Mm-hmm. And then I looked it up and yeah, sure enough, this was this was the movie he made right before he ended his own life, unfortunately. Uh, I th- I think he was um I think I think he got arrested for assault or something and he, maybe he was looking at some jail time and I, I'm not sure the whole story but it's it's sad and the movie doesn't look very good though it's so a bad situation all around then I suppose. Yeah. We also have Dating My Mother and that comes out on the uh, 8th as well. Then on the 11th Friday we have Class Rank looks pretty bad. The Kissing Booth is going to be on Netflix. Uh, I'm not too familiar with that. It looks like some sort of teen comedy, maybe. But, uh, yeah, probably not going to be very good. The Honor List, that doesn't look good. Higher Power looks pretty bad. The Escape, that's one that I just mentioned. It's also going to be a limited release with uh, Gemma Arterton. And uh, what's his name? I always forget his name. Dominic Cooper is in mm-hmm. that as well. We also have Revenge. As I said, that'll be yep. on Shudder. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I would. I would. It's a tough watch. Uh, it because it's sort of a, a play on the seventies and eighties style rape revenge film. Mm-hmm. So that there is some some difficult subject matter, mm-hmm. but uh, it's it's very well crafted. All right. On Blu-ray this week for Tuesday, May eighth, we have. The House That Dripped Blood is getting a Blu-ray release from 1971. Never saw that movie. Might might be a good time to check it out. It's a good title. I know, right? The House That Dripped Blood. It's very descriptive. Like, you know exactly what you're going to get. Too many titles just have, uh, have very, too many movies just have very boring titles, you know? Yep. Uh, Yeah. We need more creative titles. I completely agree escape or revenge or something you know what are those movies you're gonna see the title and you're gonna forget about it you need you need a you need a house that drips blood yep phantom thread comes out right i still haven't seen that still have not seen really good that's what i hear Mm -hmm. gun crazy from 1950 comes out might have might have to see that yeah i've heard of that so have I, but I just never, uh, never saw mm-hmm. it. Uh, Dalton Trumbo wrote it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Batman Ninja comes out. Uh, it's a pretty highly anticipated DC animated film. Mm-hmm. Sort of an anime style reimagining of Batman. Looks kind of interesting. Uh, right. Let's see what else we have here. Caged Fury from 1990. Looks like. Might be a women in prison film. Didn't mm-hmm. know they still made those in the nineties, but Apparently here we go. They did. Here we go. Violence in a women's prison from nineteen eighty two. Keeping with the uh women, a theme here. Yeah. Keeping a uh, women in prison theme here. Emmanuel and the Last of the Cannibals from nineteen seventy seven comes out. Another sort of grindhouse film. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least those movies have memorable titles. Yeah. We need, we do need titles. Now, now I'm just getting more worked up about this. Yep. We need better titles. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's a critic named Mike McGranahan, and uh, he wrote a book just filled with different essays uh, about uh, sort of different just subjects that 
he thinks about as a film critic. And I think one title, what one chapter was about, you know, titles. Uh, you could have uh, a movie that has a yeah, just all these completely boring one-word titles that you just see and forget about, uh, or you could have the full title of the movie Borat, which is very long. But you hear Borat, Cultural Learnings of America for Make Benefit Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan, and that sticks with you. Yeah. You might not remember it, but you will know that movie with a very long title. Yeah, it's like that uh, Seven Stages movie that I saw, Tribeca, that has like unbelievably long title. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of shitty titles, Fifty Shades Freed comes out. Mm-hmm. What's going on with the Fifty Shades Freed? Fifty Shades Freed is Those the title. Those words don't have anything to do with each other. <laughs> that is the title of the movie. Like, <sighs> there's Fifty Shades of Grey, which is a pun on the name. And then there's, what's the second one? Fifty Shades Darker, which at least feels like a coherent set of words. Yes, yes. But then Fifty Shades Freed. It feels like there should almost be like a colon after Fifty Shades. Fifty Shades separate part yeah. Freed. Yeah, but there's not. So that's just, yeah, it's just, that's just how it is. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I never saw any of those movies. So Me neither. Uh, let's see what else we have here. Uh, Miss Sloan from 2016 is getting a Blu-ray release. Uh, that's pretty much it. Criterion this week, we got Moonrise from 1948. So, uh, should have a review for that one up this week. Stay tuned for that. And I think that that is going to wrap it up for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you have any questions or concerns you can email us at feedback at filmpulse.net you can follow us on twitter at filmpulse.net and at kbake underscore 99 and if you have a minute take a look at our patreon page patreon.com slash filmpulse consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber for ken bakley my name is adam patterson we'll see you next week bye